0: Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show, your guide to better cricket. It's coaching, it's playing, and it's all about improving for the next half an hour or so. My name is David Hinchliffe. I'm helping you and helping me to help you, are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Garra's uh, inclement weather your way, I understand.
1: Yeah, we're a bit snowy. It's not massively too bad today uh, so far but apparently this afternoon it's going to completely dump on us and uh, reports from my home are that uh, it's already under a number of different uh, layers of snow.
0: Oh well, be careful. I've been I've been looking out my window today and just watching cars just slip around and and vans yeah. get stuck and having to shovel themselves out. So it's it doesn't feel like uh, cricket weather just yet. I've got to say not
1: not just yet. We I think we got a game in a month. <laughs> no,
0: that's the month. Yeah, twenty
1: eighth twenty eighth of uh, March we got a game. Oh, so all the best on that one.
0: All the best, everyone. <laughs> I'll be watching from behind a window <laughs>
1: with a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Secondly, that laugh you heard—that's the uh, head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School. It's Sam Lavery. Lavers, you've you've had a little bit of a, a dusting, and so the whole school's closed. Is that right?
2: Yeah, there's a dusting of snow. We've closed down for two days, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the south coast, these things just can't be tolerated. So, um, no, exactly. Yeah, we've uh, yeah, so day off really today. So um, catching up on a few bits and pieces. Already been out for a nice a nice walk in the snow as well, which is fairly minimal and um, yeah, a lovely day off today and I presume tomorrow as well because the actual serious snow is coming later today by the sounds of it so um, we shall see what it brings
0: Well it has given me an opportunity that all this um, sitting around wondering what to do has given uh, me an opportunity to think a little bit about uh, some wider issues and one of the things that we've been talking about at the club that I coach is team culture and um, where that comes from and and who decides it and and who enforces it and uh, you know who makes the rules basically and 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 who applies the rules and the debate we've been having at the club is in the past it's always been decided by the captains and the coach and then it's been enforced by the captains and the coach onto the players but recent times it's been a bit more the other way things have been a bit more player led and and players are, are making more of the decisions because you know they're voting with their feet if you like and they're doing things the way they want to do things and uh, we've having this discussion about how we need to formalize that and how we need to sort of move forward with, with that thinking you know which which type of policy are we going for when we're talking about the team culture so I, I thought I'd get your guys opinion in as well and saying, you know when you're talking about building a culture building a team spirit where do you start? Do you start with something that's led by the players, something that's led by the by the senior captains and coaches, or some kind of middle ground?
1: Well, it's um I'm not sure there is an absolute template for this, mate. I'll be brutally honest with you. And I think it comes down to so many different things that are very individual to each circumstance, club, school, whatever the case may be, wherever you're wherever you're working. So I think that the best people that do this are the ones that instead of coming with this the way we're going to do it, actually take a step back and have a little look. Now, a lot of the time, particularly in clubs, the people that are doing this have already been part of that club for a long time. So they'd have been building up those uh, those stores of information and stores of understanding and awareness, uh, which probably puts them in the best position to do it. The challenge I see, and this is more about professional sport, and I think this is why professional sport sometimes goes wrong, is that somebody comes in and tries to develop a new culture without understanding what is already going on. Uh, and I've, I've been involved in a couple of those uh, where people have been shoehorned in and got it horribly wrong to their detriment um, and uh, because they've come in on other people's views of what's going on uh, and just tried to implement maybe their models of their templates and it's not quite worked so for me in clubs generally you promote from within that you within clubs it's rare that you bring somebody from the outside and i think you use all of your experience and your knowledge and awareness and relationships with people to formulate the right plan as opposed to starting with the senior players or starting with the committee or whatever i think it's incredibly individual
0: it's quite hard to do i think labour as well at club level in that if you if you want it to be led by the players you have to get the players together outside of a cricketing context and certainly if you're talking about uh, club players who've got plenty of other things to do other than play cricket as a, and especially at pre-season time of year when you know it's not they haven't even got the permission from home to uh, to go off and do stuff um, it is hard to get everybody together to start deciding those things so um, often I think that it defaults to the people who are most present and the people who do uh, are the most able to be around to make those decisions and then the guys who can't be around as much end up having to follow along because they haven't been around for those discussions in the first place is, is that something you found in your club cricket experiences?
2: Yeah from the club cricket side of thing, which I'm, I'm not really involved in as much these days but it's, you, you are right that there are only certain people who have the time availability to, to kind of get involved to the degree that you or they might like um, so Because of that, ongoing discussions, probably more so in the past, are quite tricky. I think one thing that is apparent these days is there are so many methods of communication available that even if people aren't able to attend, people can still contribute something. Um, And even if it's just an idea or a principle or something they do or don't like, or they feel does or or doesn't work, then there's still opportunity to have open conversation. like if you, if you can find anyone at a creative club who's not part of a WhatsApp group of some sort, then you've done pretty well. And I, those kind of things where you can set up a group discussion, it can be something that isn't rushed. Maybe takes period t- takes um, takes place over a period of weeks, months, etc. Um, rather than saying right, we need to come up with a culture and a philosophy now. Um, then you give people time to think, and you give people time to. Um, kind of absorb different ideas and information and and then maybe in doing that you're working towards something that's a little bit more term and you're long term you're you're getting investment or input from, from lots more people um rather than as you said so if we if we say oh, right there's a meeting on there's a meeting on Thursday we need everyone to be there you're not gonna get the same kind of input and if you're doing it for the, the reason of long term development and if you're talking about club culture then you are thinking fairly long term then then um, there, is, there is a bit of strength I think in, in not rushing it and waiting and we don't have to change things right now but we need to start building towards change or thinking about change at least if, if we do want to get better.
0: What I'm trying to do this year is sort of trying to that, have that epic effort of getting people together to sort of, agree those, sort of agree those ways that we consider to be the right ways to act when we're playing as a, as a club and when we're preparing and, and after the game as well, those kind of areas. And if we've got those broad, it doesn't need to be a long list of rules, but if we've got those broad ideas of what we're doing, why we're doing it, you know, and when we're doing it, then then I think that that helps. And then if everybody or the vast majority of people are bought into that, then it becomes, it does become that word, part of that word culture. Whereas if you're just trying to enforce rules from the outside, it, as you said, Gary, it's very difficult to enforce rules from the outside because... There are rules that already exist, whether they're written down or not. It's just that they, you know, we we do things in a certain way and that's sort of the way that that we've all agreed. But that might be a bit subconscious, you know, just the thing that's always happened. So we're going to carry on doing it. So I think it's a worthwhile exercise. And even if you can't get it absolutely bang on right, then... It's definitely worth attempting because the alternative is to just try and enforce a bunch of ideas and a bunch of things which most people probably won't accept because, you know, they've played for for so long and, you know, they want to, you know, they, they want to do things in a certain way. And just because someone comes in and says, no, 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 you've been doing it wrong all this time doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly change.
1: Uh, I agree with that. I mean, one of the best examples, one of the best recent examples uh, of a, an environment or culture or whatever you want to call it that i've stepped into has been one of the premiership rugby clubs I, I, i've been lucky enough to do some work with in recent months and they have a very very simple statement which is which is no huddles and huddle is where there is a breakdown in play the ball goes out out in out into touch and a line-out occurs or there's a penalty or, um, you know, there's a there's a scrum. So it gives the opportunity for everybody to get themselves organised and together. And if you're playing against a team and you're giving them constant chances to reorganise their defensive line or their off- offensive line, then they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a threat because they can go to all of their training ground moves. One of, the, one of these teams who happen to be very good without giving any names away um, have an approach which is no huddles, which basically means we're gonna play at a pace which keeps the ball in 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 the confines of a ground, that keeps the ball alive, and we're gonna basically outrun, outmaneuver and outthink the opposition. So over the course of a week, if anybody is slacking in a physical session, then is it going to help us to play no huddle rugby? If he answers no to that which it will be, then you need to pull your finger out and get on with it. So there's there's no sort of like list of rules on the on the walls, but everywhere you go you've just got this one statement which is no huddle rugby. And um I I really like the simplicity of that and I really like what all the behaviours which underpin that.
0: Let's move on to some questions now, questions that have been sent in by listeners to the show. And the way that this works is we have a couple of questions that we do our best to answer, and then we decide the best question of the week, which wins an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And you can get in touch with us by emailing coach at pitchvision.com if you want to send your question in for a future show. But for now... Divi is the person who sent in the first question. Divi says, "I am a tailender. I'm known for hitting the ball up in the air lots of times in games, but in practice, my batting is on point. Obviously, game pressure is the reason. Mostly, my hands seems to push hard at the ball. When I soften my grip, I'm able to keep the ball down, but fail to generate power to hit it harder. The decision making is hard when I'm in game conditions." Either I predetermine that I'm going to defend it or go for a scoring shot. Is there a good shot selection or decision-making drill I can do? And how do I practice that in the nets? So I guess that's a two, it's a two-parter, really. Is, is his diagnosis correct? And is there something we can do to help him?
1: Well, possibly his diagnosis is correct, but... Uh, what he's failing to do is to transfer what he's doing in the nets over into the game. And often the techniques shift, but it isn't the technical element, which is the root cause of, of of the problem. What he hasn't done there is he hasn't told us how he goes about his business in the nets. What does he think? What's his pre-delivery routine? What is his intention when he goes into the nets? How does he keep himself calm? What's his breathing strategy? And ultimately, all of these things combined that he's obviously doing in the nets are things that he needs to practice and take over into uh, match play because if he does that then his contacts will become later his decision making will become clearer so to me you're already doing it but you haven't quite realised that you're already doing it enough to take it over into over into match play it could be said that maybe you're not pressurising yourself uh, in terms of your approach or who you're facing in your nets to then make it relevant to uh, to what you're doing in a game but ultimately if you can do it in, in your practice and it sounds like you're pretty happy with the way you're going about that you've just got to then find a way of taking that over into the matches and it's often the things like my pre-delivery routine how I breathe where only coming back into the, uh, the box as I call it you know, where you get into your stance um, only coming back in there when you're ready to face, uh, face the ball just as you would do if you're in, in the net. So I mean ultimately without taking the mickey out of the bowler all the game of cricket as a batter, you dictate when the bloke's going to let go of the ball because if you're not standing in any crease, he isn't going to start his run-up. And if he does, then he'll have to abort it and go back to the end of it. So without being too uh, taking the mickey out of the game uh, and making it last longer than it really has to, um, we can dictate that. And we do it in nets pretty well, but uh, you're not obviously not taking that over. So to me, pre-delivery... Um, uh, it's not pre-delivery movement. Pre-pre-ball routine in terms of what you do physically and mentally is crucial to take over into a game. Um, I think that's that's massively important. And secondly, maybe have a think about your breathing because your breathing can have a huge impact on how we feel, which then has a huge impact on uh, our decision making when it comes to that ball being released.
0: I think um, you've put your finger on uh, one of the st- one of the important things around practice. In that nets are, are great and not great at the same time and if you've got a problem uh, in a similar way that divi has in the you know you bat in a certain way in the nets and you bat in a different way in the games then that's kind of a weakness of nets in that it is different it, you know stringing up that net does make a difference it does feel different and then add that to if you're not using your sort of your your mind in the same way then because nets are different you know that it's probably multiple bowlers lots lots more deliveries in a much shorter amount of time probably a lot less running a lot less uh, having to make decisions about whether to run or not a lot less feeling of um stress from oh if i get out here you know that's the end of my go for today so it is a different thing and that and that is um you have to kind of use your imagination a lot more in nets because you, because you don't have the option so maybe one of the things i would say is that um, as a result of that, is if you can get out of the nets, you know, bat bat in the middle. If you if you can bat in the middle, whether that's in games or you know knockabout games, you know, in the in the back garden or you know real games which have maybe a little bit less importance in your mind, or middle practice, or getting getting out of the nets basically, and seeing if the way you play out of the nets when it's less important is something that you can build on. Um, and if you find actually, you know, you, you for example, it might be that he was saying he doesn't hit the ball hard enough and maybe he's trying to hit the ball harder in games because it's further to go to the boundary than it is in your mind in the net. So maybe perhaps that's a that's something to look at in that. Well, perhaps I need to work out how to hit the ball harder so it doesn't go along the ground. But you can't really work that out very easily in nets because when you hit it it goes a couple of feet and then suddenly it's into, into a side netting and you think oh that was a nice shot and then you do it in a game and it doesn't get to the 30 yard circle so uh, you, you've got to kind of work out where the problem is by getting out of the nets a little bit more what do you think do you, do you see this often with guys who um, sort of look great in nets and then not so great in the middle I do but
2: but to go with that and I think sort of similar to what you're alluding to there people Always think that what they're doing in the match is the problem, and and for me, it's 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 not always that. It, it can be not the the amount of pressure in the match that's that's holding them back. It's the the lack of pressure or the lack of intensity in training. That's all the lack of realism, as you were suggesting there. That's that's causing it. So rather than trying to sort of dumb the the match down to a level where it's more comfortable, I'll I'd, I'd be thinking of trying to expose myself to a more match specific environment when it comes to. Um, when it comes to those training opportunities, and you can do that in a number of ways, as as you've mentioned, a couple there playing out in the middle, or or <laughs> putting consequences on things, or uh, there's a whole range of ways you can make the nets more intense. But um, I, I would I'd be think that's that's one of the things, and if you can start to get comfortable with those higher pressure consequence based environments within uh within the week then come the come the matches you're hopefully gonna be a little bit more equipped to to deal with um a similar a similar kind of environment and once you can do that it sounds like you can bat to be honest. So um once you're able to deal with that and, and you pinpointed it yourself, you said the the game pressure is the reason. Well if you can deal with that that training
1: pressure and create it then then that goes away then who knows what you could be doing. It is something that is controlled about. I mean, yeah, somebody like Raul Dravid is obviously at the top of his game. You know, he, he was an incredible player but he used to create situations in just normal net sessions in his own head that made him practice in a way that was completely transferable, irrespective of whether it was his teammates, you know, Ishant Sharma or Manaf Patel or whoever the case may be, you know, Patan bowling at him or whether it was some of the 15 and 16-year-olds that come along and bowl at the uh, Indian international side. He would find a way of creating a situation in his head, making it as game realistic as uh, as possible. Not just where he's hitting the ball and how he's hitting the ball but the stuff that happens before he even gets into his stance. Uh, and then he felt that he could... Um, take that type of practice all the way into uh, his, his match play you know and, and what happens he ends up playing in an era where the world's best were averaging 44 and he averaged 50 whatever you know so um i, I think there's something i think there's something in the way that he organizes himself around a net rather than everybody else has to organize and, and motivate you to go to a higher level so Take take it from Raul, you know, you can be a number nine, but if you do that same process, you'll become a much better number nine than
0: you would do going about it normally. I heard a story about uh, Tiger Woods the other day, which which is perhaps uh, slightly appropriate in that um, the way he used to train was he used to play golf on a golf course. And then if he encountered a problem that he couldn't fix on the golf course by going around the golf course, not playing games, but just going around the course, then then he would go to the driving range and try and sort it out. And, and I guess that maybe that is something that you could adapt a bit there and say, you know, get get yourself into a, more of a match play style situation, more of a game style situation, play it out in the middle as much as you can. And if you can't fix that problem, then head into nets with the knowledge that you've gained from being in that open situation. I think that might help a little bit in this in this circumstance. Sort of do it the other way around. You know, most people go into the nets to solve the problem then go and play or maybe do it the other way. Go and play. <laughs> and then see if you can work it out. And if you can't head back into the nets, maybe that might be a way of looking at it. The next question is from Joel. And this is a short question, which probably has a long answer. Is 2020 cricket bad for you?
1: Oh, great quiz. Well, it wasn't a 2020 game, but there's a few people in New Zealand that have been trying to catch balls one-handed, haven't they? And it certainly hasn't been bad for them. Uh, That (laughs) bloke that caught one the other night. um, uh, I think it was off Josh Butler's shop. uh, Is 50,000 New Zealand dollars richer? Which is about £12.10, I think. But anyway, he's richer than he was before (laughs) he went. Um, Is it bad for you? No, I don't think it's bad for you. I think uh, that there are players that it suits more than not. Um, is it bad for the game? Absolutely not. It's created more interest than any other format of the game of cricket. But as with anything, it, it needs to be managed. In both cases, how we how we approach Twenty Twenty and its impact on Test cricket, and fifty over cricket, and everything else, we need to manage as a as a game really well. And equally, I think players need to manage uh, the skills, the expectations of Twenty Twenty cricket. Carefully as well, if they want to get the, the the best out of themselves, you know. So, if I was playing now and I was uh, a more of an Alistair Cook type of player, I suppose, who, who likes to bat long, I would use my domestic T20 cricket if selected uh, to. Um, work on some uh, skills about playing you know spin and attacking spin because there'll be situations in test matches where Alistair will need to put the pressure back on the boulder and what a, what better opportunity going back to your point before David of, of doing it out in the middle and doing it in real situations what a, what a better practice mode than to, to actually do it in a game you know so um, that would be the way that I'd go about my my 2020 cricket if my main focus was longer format and obviously you know in terms of being noticed nowadays and a lot of people that, that write into this show and call into this show are people that are looking to go to the next level well probably the 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 biggest springboard in world cricket at the moment is t20 cricket not just because it will take you into new t20 environments but also it gets your name your shots your deliveries or whatever out there in the public domain, uh, getting talked about, getting recognised, and you know somebody like David Warner is a classic example of a bloke who used the BBL, the first BBL, to kickstart not just a T20 international career, but also one that's taken him to vice captaincy of the of a Test team. So um, I think it's a great opportunity, rather than a threat. It's just down to the way that we perceive it and the way that we use it.
0: Both. As a sport, but also as individuals, there is um, you know the classic argument is that you know you, the the you can see it in test cricket you know that the, the there's more results because teams don't know how to bat and they don't know how to save games anymore and uh, and all that kind of thing and and I suppose there is a there is something of an argument there because there is some evidence there as well but um, I guess Labour's the question is is it bad for you is is too simplistic a question isn't it because Uh, The game is changing and um, as the game changes, um, you have to adapt with it. And I I guess you could say playing 2020 cricket might have been bad for you when the the highest level of cricket uh, played was test cricket and there wasn't such a thing as... um, you know one day cricket or 2020 cricket but but nowadays there's you know there's there's three formats that you've got to think about and so you know if you're thinking about three formats then you, you might have to make a decision about which one or two you're going to play as as is starting to happen isn't it so um if you're in that situation then uh 2020 cricket isn't going to be bad for you it's going to be how you make your money if you become a, a pro playing in those 2020 tournaments so it's a bit of a Perhaps it's a question where you just have to say, well, it depends on your individual situation.
2: I think you're right there. There's every chance that um, it's going to be extremely good for people in a number of ways, whether it's fans, players, officials, administrators, whoever it is, Um, 2020 cricket can bring a lot of good. And then there are other people who might, as a result of um, various things, find that they don't quite get the same opportunities in cricket or... Um, don't get exposed to the same things that they might do, might have done without 2020 cricket because as you said it's changed the game so um, it's too simplistic to just say yes it's good or no it's bad for, for everyone or for the whole game um, because it is having such an impact in so many different areas of it um, and as you said there, there are players around whose lives are completely transformed from it in in, in all countries of the world who play cricket um and we're now at a stage where a lot of these well a lot more players I'd imagine are going to start committing to 2020 or white ball cricket solely um, and it'd be interesting to see how that's managed and, and the first thing I heard was that a lot of people think it's going to free up, free up money um, to uh, allow more contracts to be given out but equally these top teams are also going to be thinking right well, we need a ultimately going to have to have a, a squad of white ball players and a squad of red ball players if it if it goes that far and that, that doesn't sound like it's going to free up money at all to me i think it's going to sound like more people being more expensive um, and they might all take a slight cut each but i can't imagine that two people's wages for for red ball and white ball cricket add up to one one person's wage who's who's playing both formats so um, as as we said right back at the start it, it's it's going to have incredible positives and and it's going to have potentially a few negatives along the way as well but it's happening and whether it is or it isn't that's not really for us to contest now it, it's happening and and we've got to ride it and we've got to try and manage it and i guess control it to a degree the game has to try and control it to a degree and, and make sure that as many positives come out of it as have done already and more um with as few as few people being negatively impacted along the way as possible, but for me, thing is brilliant thing.
0: Yeah, and if you if you look at it from the perspective of say a junior cricketer, you know you, that's what you're playing. You know, if you are if you are eleven, twelve, thirteen years old, you're playing a lot more twenty over cricket than you are any other format of cricket as, as you as you're learning the game. So, um, if if you look at it in that way, then it, you. At that age, if you know, especially if you're talking about a club player who's just learning the game and, and he's trying to get the basics down, you know, you're still talking about doing all the basic things well. Um, so you don't necessarily have to worry about what the format is. You just have to worry about can you go out and and. And hit a few when you're batting and can you bowl enough straight ones when you're bowling to get a couple of wickets and, and can you catch the ball when it comes to you and can you stop it when it comes to you and the, those those basic skills are, are beyond the format then and, and then you can look at it from that way and say well you know if the juniors have been playing 2020 cricket for you know as, as long as it's been cricket because that's the only format that really works for the young for much younger kids and then as you get older and as you get better maybe you start to play longer formats but generally speaking that's where you start and that's where you play most of your games until you get to the point when you're playing adult cricket. So that's the other thing to look at, isn't it? You know, you've got to say, well, T- there's a long way between an under-11s 20-over match and you know a big bash game or a T20 international.
2: Yeah, the two aren't really comparable, are they? The, the a 20-over match for a 11, 12, 13-year-old is is the equivalent of, I guess, a 50-over match or something similar for. Someone um, a little bit. In fact, it's probably even a, a longer format than that because um, the range of skills and uh, ability or or depth within a side at, at that age a lot of the time is is extremely different. So comparing and contrasting age groups and and um, yeah, rate oh, durations of the game is um, is very very tricky. But that's um, that's another form of the game that is changing, and there are. There are new rules coming into junior 2020 cricket. Pitches have been shortened. Wines have been removed. Players have been reduced. Um, So that's the format of the game that I think is being trialled this year and and will be formally uh, passed on to the new rules for everyone next year.
0: OK, let's wrap it up. So that is all we've got time for on the show. Before we go, there is one more thing we need to do, and that is decide on the winner of the competition this week. The online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com is up for grabs. And the questions on the table are Divi's question about Nets versus playing in games and Joel's question about 2020 cricket. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris?
1: I like Divi's question this week. I thought it was awesome. Um, I loved his honesty um, around not being able to transfer between uh, Nets and, um, uh, and match play i think you know that's a starting point to any improvement isn't it for people to say for themselves i'm not doing this well enough i want to get some advice to admit that you've got something you want to work on is a starting point for development and uh, i hope that uh, our answers help you out
0: mate oh, congratulations and for other people listening who wanted to have their chance to get their question answered and win the prize Gareth, how could they get in touch with us
1: they could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com.
0: That is correct. There are other ways of getting in touch with us as well. You can find us over at pitchvision.com. You can message us there, Look, search for Pitch Vision Academy. We've got an account there and you can send us a message. You can do the same on Facebook, facebook.com slash pitchvision academy, and Twitter at pitchvisionacad. You can listen to the show every week by subscribing. It's free and you can do it in iTunes or any other podcast app if you. Do a search for Pitch Vision Academy. You'll find us there. Tap on subscribe. And if you want to get all the old shows going right back to the beginning, show notes, download or stream them from the website, you can do that by going to pitchvision.com academy and clicking on the podcast link for all the details. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Gareth. Cheers, Lavers. Cheers.
1: Cheers, guys.